Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we enter this Lent season, we pray that you might help us to listen, help us to hear, help us to serve you, help us to follow. In Jesus' name, Amen. Once upon a time, there was an overweight minister who decided he needed to do something about it. So one year at Lent, he gave up cake. And at first he was very diligent and he stuck to his diet very strictly. He even worked out a new route to the office so that he wouldn't drive past his favourite bakery on the way to the church. However, one day, a few weeks into Lent, he walked through the church doors with a massive coffee cake. And naturally, being Christian and gracious, the others who worked at the church relentlessly took the mickey out of him for not being able to keep his Lenten promises. But he said, no, 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 I can explain. It's okay. You see, this morning, I accidentally drove past my favourite bakery and I saw all these delicious coffee cakes out on the display case. And so I prayed. I asked God, if you really think I should have this delicious coffee cake, Grant me an open parking space right in front of the bakery. And what do you know? Who am I to argue? On my eighth time round the block, there was one right there. Temptation. It's something that's common, yet unique to us all. It's common in that in some way or another we all face it, but unique in that the way it comes to each of us. Is different. I mean, in Brighton, there's a duck shop which sells all nothing but rubber ducks of all sorts. And I doubt too many of you would have to practice serious self-restraint if you went there. Me, on the other hand. Or equally, some of you will have to watch yourself around fruitcake or go easy if someone's serving blue cheese after dinner. It's not going to be a particularly big challenge for me. I'm not a fan. Also, like a good murder mystery, real temptation requires means, motive and opportunity. There are temptations which some face which will simply never come our way because we are not in a position to face them. I'm unlikely to be tempted to avoid tax by hiding my millions in a secret little hideaway scheme in Liechtenstein. And I'm not complaining about what I earn. It's just that I don't have enough for someone to think that that would be worth my while. They're not going to offer me it. At the start of Lent, we are invited to reflect on the idea of temptation. We remember the 40 days Jesus spent in the wilderness and the temptations he faced. We may choose to fast or give up something for a season. And if we do that, as a result, we might face temptation, like the minister in my opening story, to go back on that promise. But not all temptations are the same. It's kind of hard to equate the temptation, say, I might face to say nothing when someone gives me change for a £20 note rather than a tenner. 
with the kind of thing Jesus is facing here. And it's a fallacy to think that if we just became more spiritually mature, we wouldn't face temptation. As we see in this evening's reading, Jesus himself faced it. And they are real temptations. Jesus isn't playing at being human and being tempted. And if he can be tempted, we can pretty much count on us facing it. And temptation can come even when what we want to achieve is genuinely good. In fact, some temptations only arise when your temptations are good, or when your intentions are good. There is something of that in the story of the temptations of Jesus. In his book, Surprised by Jesus, Tim Stafford suggests that each of the temptations was designed to enable Jesus to succeed in the wrong way. But there's something about these three temptations that I want to touch on briefly. At the root of so much, in fact, probably all temptation, are desires which of themselves are not necessarily bad. In the purest sense, they can be good longings planted within us by God. But the trouble is we can seek to satisfy them in the wrong way or in the wrong places. And that's a way in which I think these temptations can be brought closer to our experience. You see, I'm not really in a position to turn stones to bread. And nor is the temptation to throw myself off the top of Bryant Apartments expecting angels to catch me on the way down really that attractive to me. But underneath it all, there are basic drives which we can all have. Good desires that we may share. And Jesus had them. Take the first temptation to turn stones to bread. I mean, what good desire might be sought there? Can I say it's about material security? Of itself, it's no bad thing. In my life, I've been financially stretched and I've been financially quite comfortable. And I know which I prefer. Anyone who thinks there's anything romantic or inherently virtuous about poverty hasn't experienced it. But comfort can come with its difficulties. We can become entitled. It has the potential to make us quite arrogant. The more materially secure we are, the more of our problems we can easily solve and we can start to come to rely on it as our way out of anything. We have this idea that if we just throw enough resources at it, we'll be able to solve it. Until we can't. Or we can develop that sense of, look what I've achieved. And we can lose sight of that all we have is gift. Wealth has been likened to drinking salt water. The more we drink, the thirstier we get. And if we're not careful, what we have is just never enough. If we just had this and we just had that, it can all start to get in the way of generosity. 
And material security, no bad thing. But if it takes us down a path of self-reliance or when we fail to recognize that all we have is gift, it can be a dangerous basket into which to place all our eggs. Jesus is then taken to the highest point of the temple. Satan urges him to throw himself off. Surely God would rescue him and everybody would be really impressed. This would get him noticed. The second temptation is the lure of reputation, the desire to impress, to have our sense of value tied up in what others think of us. It's natural. It's a good, healthy longing to have dignity, worth and value because we are created with and for dignity, worth and value. It's one of the most consistent messages of the Bible that we are created in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made, completely and utterly and unconditionally loved. That's how we are viewed in God's sight. That's what gives us our true worth. But if we live for the approval of others, if that's what we tie up our sense of worth or value in, we're destined for disappointment. We will never truly get enough. There will always be that voice telling us, you're not good enough. There will always be that temptation to compare ourselves often unfavorably with others. That one critical voice will always be louder than all the voices of affirmation put together. It will always cut more deeply. And often that critical voice will be your own. And it becomes a never-ending effort to maintain people's high opinion until you realise you don't need to that your dignity, worth, value they're not ultimately tied up in what you've achieved or what you've become or how many people look up to you and respect you probably all good things but your true dignity, worth and value are bestowed on you by the God in whose image you were created and nothing can take that away from you and the more we grasp that, the more contented and at peace we become. But Satan's still not finished. In a moment, all the kingdoms of the earth flash before Jesus. You can have them if you just worship me. The third temptation to have the whole world at our feet. It's the illusion of control that we can bend everything to our will. That's the one playing out in our news right now. It's one of the driving forces behind the great big push to get things back to normal, to give us a date by which everything's going to be okay. I was listening to one of our MPs on the video a few days ago, and I think he was saying just that. And then he was challenged by how he had been saying something similar. Well, we didn't need to go into lockdown last November. And he replied, well, no one could predict the variant of the virus which occurred in December. To which the reporter said, exactly. That's why what you're asking for isn't reasonable. 
because we don't have the level of control in life that we think we have in so many ways. So many of our problems are about us not recognising the distinction between those things which are under our control and those things which aren't and were never supposed to be. How many relationships are dysfunctional and damaged because one party or another is trying to exert influence they have no right to have. Throughout the scriptures, that was the way of Rome, Babylon, Assyria, Egypt. The way the nations, the way you got the nations of the world was to make them bend to your will, to coerce them into submission. And that's what Jesus is being offered. And it's the road which so many have gone down ever since. From the international stage, right into the smaller scale interactions, which are probably more alienated. But it's not the way of God. God seeks to draw us with love. And that's costly. It can be painful. It can be rejected. But it's the way God in Christ transforms lives. It's the way by which he redeems the world and is making all things new. It's why we eat bread and drink wine together. Because that reminds us how God exercises his rule. So we do have these same basic desires for material security, for a sense of self-worth, for a sense of control. And they're not bad of themselves. The danger is when we seek to satisfy them in all the wrong places. To seek security in the work of our own hands rather than resting in the provision of God. Not so we can become lazy and expect it all just to fall from the sky onto a plate for us but to recognise that all we have is gift. And it's not earned. Our value isn't tied up in what we've achieved, how far we've gone, how many people look up to us. It's rooted in the fact that we're loved completely and unconditionally just because. And true control was never ours to have. to allow ourselves to be held in a love from which nothing can separate us. When the illusion of control proves to be just that, an illusion, we recognise that even in a world where so much is out of control, we can put our trust in one who holds all things, who has faced all the world, has to throw at us and has overcome it. Grace and peace to you.